Support comes from Empower Missouri's Week of Action with in-person and virtual advocacy training for affordable housing, criminal justice, and food security initiatives, March 25th through 28th. Registration at empowermissouri.org WOA. Near the end of an already explosive week in the saga of Governor Eric Greitens, the GOP leaders of the House and Senate made sure to make a little more news. In a rare late-night press conference, House Speaker Todd Richardson announced that lawmakers had gathered enough signatures to call themselves into special session. It's the first time that's ever been done. And the topic will likely be whether to impeach Greitens. Regretfully, the call of this historic act is for the sole purpose to consider the findings and recommendation of the House committee, including disciplinary actions against Governor Greitens. This announcement was not unexpected, but it places Greitens into serious political jeopardy. That's especially after a second House committee report shed new light on how he obtained a fundraising list from the Mission Continues, a charity that the governor co-founded. There was also some major developments when it came to how a key player in the governor's invasion of privacy trial paid for his attorney. And it could affect what could happen if and when Greitens leaves office. So on this episode of Politically Speaking, St. Louis Public Radio's Joe Manis and Rachel Lipman join me to talk about these unprecedented events in unprecedented times. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today is... Rachel Lippman. And... Colleague Joe Manis. It's part nine of, part nine. of our, our... Special edition, special miniseries. Special, it's becoming more than a miniseries at this point. <laughs> a saga? Saga. Mo WTF. <laughs> I mean... You know, if that's I, a good one. If I had to, go, I can't take credit for that Missouri's one. But. version of Game of Thrones. If but. I had to go back in time, just a three or four weeks ago, and I would have told my past self, Jason, this week we're going to have another explosive House report. We're going to have a, a newspaper publisher delivering cash to to lawyers. We're gonna we're gonna have, secretly delivering. I would have told the future, Jason, that mm, yeah, that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing surprises me not anymore, in and not in the show me state. So, so the first thing that we have to talk about is an event that happened pretty late in the week, and that's when the leaders of the Missouri House and the Missouri Senate, who are all Republicans, announced that there were enough signatures to call the legislature into special session to likely consider impeachment against Governor Greitens. Now. Joe, I wouldn't say that this is a particularly surprising development. I think after the no. fir- I think after the first House report, this became inevitable. There was a little back and forth between Republicans and Democrats about impeaching right away as opposed to impeaching after May 18th. But I think there were 138 House signatures, 29 Senate signatures. What do we make of all this? Well, first, I think we need, we need to make clear to our listeners that impeachment is not conviction. Impeachment does not oust him from the office. Bill Clinton was impeached as president over 20 years ago. So it does signal that the Republicans in the General Assembly have pretty much coalesced around the idea 
that uh, Governor Greitens did some actions that they just cannot sanction. And as I keep saying, a lot of it, I think, is really about the sex, but they're tossing all this other stuff at him, which is legitimate issues, because they feel that he just is too much of an embarrassment to the party. And we'll talk about some of the specific issues later in the show, but I want to play a clip from House Speaker Todd Richardson, Republican from Poplar Bluff, heard him many times on this show. And I I want our listeners to kind of hear how serious and historic this decision is. Let me conclude by saying this. This path is not the one that I would have chosen for Missourians or my colleagues. I had hoped from the beginning of this process that the committee would find no wrongdoing so that we could bring this investigation to a close and put all of our attention on the issues that matter most to Missouri families. Unfortunately, this is where the facts led. We will not avoid doing what is right just because it is hard, just because it is not the path we hope to travel. Therefore, we have taken the unprecedented step to continue to follow the facts wherever they may lead. You know, I said on Twitter that this announcement made impeachment, which as you mentioned, Joe, is not throwing Greitens out of office, but but just sending it to the Senate who will then pick judges who will decide whether Greitens leaves well, office. Well, it signals that the House is upset with him. And the point is, we've got a House that's over two-thirds Republican. Right. And I, I said after... 138 signatures, that impeachment was 99%. There were several people on both sides of the aisle who messaged me and said, you may want to be cautious with that, There, that he may be acquitted of felony invasion of privacy. We may find out more about who gave Al Watkins money, which we'll talk about later in the show. But when you do the math, all that needs to happen to get 82 votes is 35 out of 114 Republicans, and then all the Democrats vote for impeachment. I mean, 35 out of 114 is not a high bar to go over, especially when many Republicans maybe haven't spoken out. I'm probably not happy with how Greitens is affecting their party right now. Well, I think to be to emphasize. Uh Speaker Richardson has been very careful is that he wants to have at least a majority of the Republicans. I mean, forgetting the overall number, he wants to make sure that he has at least a majority of the House Republicans agreeing that there needs to be a special session and in effect that they're ready to impeach the governor. I think he wants to make sure that this is a train driven by Republicans. Democrats may have a few cars on the train. But the conductor and the engineer are Republicans. And one thing people need to understand about Speaker Richardson, A, he's considered uh, a, a rising star within the state Republican Party. He had been toying for about a year in running for statewide office himself. Uh, for state auditor. He decided in the end that that wasn't the right fit for him. So he's he's a lawyer. He's going to go back into uh, private practice after he leads office. He may or may not uh, run for statewide office in 2020. My point being is, is that Richardson has taken a hard look 
at himself and the party and where he thinks things need to be right now. So I think one of the things for him is that I suspect, and I don't know, I haven't asked him, that he's feeling that the governor is not taking the same self-reflective look at what's best for the party and what may be best for him. I mean, Richardson's roughly the same age, so I think he has a different— I mean, I think he is very disturbed with the governor that the governor it seems to be of uh, the me too, me first um, uh, philosophy. Now, in the Senate, we've got a different situation with Ron Richard, who is the head of the Senate, a veteran. He's like in his early 70s. He had not planned on running for anything else. He has resented some of the aides and the behavior by the governor from the get-go. He just hasn't thought that there's been enough respect for legislative leaders. So Richard, I think from the standpoint, Richard is also leaving, but I think that this is probably a sad note for him, that he doesn't really want to do this, but he feels like this is inevitable. But B, he has been very, very uh, disturbed with the governor's behavior before all this erupted a few months ago. I will just add, there was no statement whatsoever that I received, either from the governor's official or political or legal team about this. And I'm not gonna I'm gonna try to, to keep my emotions in check this time, but I can't emphasize how stunning that is. This is something that has never happened before in Missouri history. The legislature calling them back, calling themselves back into special session to consider the impeachment of a governor. And the governor has no response to this officially? Well, I mean, what's stunning is that they're all of the same party. I mean, this is all Republicans. This isn't like a Democratic uh, legislature who's going after a Republican governor. No. So uh, the point is, these are all people of the same party. In some ways, this signals the governor's disdain, which he has had from, the, from even before he was sworn in, of many legislative leaders in Missouri who he, during the campaign— alluded to them as part of the swamp. Um, so he he and uh, Republican leaders in the General Assembly have sort of been at odds since he was elected. And things just gradually got worse for various policy reasons that we've talked about a gazillion times. But since everything blew up in January, when he announced the previous consensual affair, uh, I think that the governor is somehow... He just wants to ignore the General Assembly. He wanted to ignore them before, and now he just sees them as as the enemy. I mean, he, he never liked them, but now he sees them as the enemy, and I think they kind of see him the same way. Well, let's talk about one of the issues that I think pushed the legislature over the edge, and that's the release of a second House committee report on the governor's conduct. This surrounds how he obtained a fundraising list from the Michigan Continues, a veterans charity he helped co-found before running for office. He's already been charged with felony computer data tampering by St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner. And this House report shed some light on not only how Greitens allegedly got the list, but also goes into the consent order that the governor signed last year. April 2017. Of, um, admitting that he used the list for political purposes, um, but basically pinning it on somebody who said he didn't, he was not responsible for it. So, Joe, 
we both read this. I talked to Danny Lobb's attorney, and we're going to hear from him pretty soon. But yeah. just lay out what happened. Okay. Now, Danny Lobb was the campaign manager early on in the campaign when apparently some of the transfers went on. Bottom line is this. The consent order the governor, which the governor signed, and some of his lawyers, uh, basically acknowledged that they had obtained the list in early 2015. Now, what the House Committee's investigation shows is that he actually got it much earlier, in 2014. Ostensibly, it was by uh, Michigan Continues employees who wanted him to notify some of the donors that what he was doing, but that it wouldn't have be because he was stepping down uh, from his high level with the charity and taking a lower profile role uh, in prep for him running for governor. Now, okay, so that's the backdrop. So um, the question is, in the consent order, it never really said, and I mentioned this before, it never really said how the campaign got it. It just said that Danny Laub had it and 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 gave it to the campaign which which Laub says no that's not what happened and and it, and the whole consent order is based on the fact that the governor's campaign did not list the donation list as an in-kind contribution that's how that all centered on here here's what i think is the explosive part of the report and it, it's near the end and it's basically Laub accusing austin chambers who is who was Greitens' campaign manager after, after Lobb. Yes. And it was is working for a consulting firm that was founded by Nick Ayers, who happens to be the chief of staff for Vice President Mike Pence. This is what Lobb told the attorney general what happened. And I'm reading this verbatim, and I'm not going to use the profanity here because this is a family podcast. And then Austin says to me, quote, I don't know if you know this, but there's a BS ethics commission, ethics complaint filed against us by the Democrat Party about this mission continues donor list. And he said, I quote, I need someone who was on the campaign at the time because I wasn't to put their name down so we can get this BS complaint dismissed. We will pay, assuming him in the campaign, we will pay the fine, but we will need somebody's name down who was on the campaign at the time and I was not. And he said, can you put your name down? So ta- Lobb testified that he told Chambers the Greitens campaign could put his name down, which he assumed meant that he was the manager of the campaign uh, or in charge of the campaign at the time. He had no clue, apparently. He says he had no clue. That he was going to be the person that, according to this consent order, that was responsible for this entire situation. Uh, the implication is. That's certainly the implication. And I'm going to play a clip now from Sandy Boxerman, who is Danny Lobb's attorney. And he made clear to me that Lobb told this to the attorney general not because he wants to clear his name or because he's trying to prove something about the, the consent order. This is what he uh, Boxerman had to say about his client's motivations for what was in this report. Danny did not ask to be involved in this investigation. He, he was subpoenaed. The law required him to show up for the deposition. He answered completely, truthfully, as best he could to, you know, given that these happen, these events happened some period ago. And whatever conclusions are to be drawn will be drawn by whoever reads all this stuff. He, he has no agenda. He, he didn't ask to be part of this, but being made a part of it, he did what he was, he was legally obligated to do as best he could. And um, where it goes from here is 
up to other people. So Austin Chambers emailed me yesterday with a statement responding to this. He also emailed a bunch of other Missouri reporters. In the course of responding to a complaint filed by the former state Democratic Party chairman, the campaign found that the donor list in question was in Lobb's possession when the campaign was formed. This was supported by records retained by the campaign. Prior to the settlement with the Missouri Ethics Commission, I relayed this finding to Lobb in a brief phone conversation. Lobb did not provide differing facts. To say that I provide false information or misled Lobb into going along with false information is absolutely untrue. Um, I also asked if Nick Ayers knew anything about this consent order, and uh, Chambers said that he was not involved. And Ayers is obviously a nationally important name here. He is Vice President Mike Pence's chief of staff. But I think it's a reasonable question to ask, like, how much did he know, if anything, about how this campaign was using the Mission Continues donors list? Well, one of the things we need to make clear about errors, before he, he, he was Pence's chief of staff, he uh, headed up this uh, consulting firm based in uh, Georgia that has its fingers or had its fingers in a lot of political campaigns. Illinois, Bruce Rauner. I believe it had uh, fingers in, in many Georgia-based campaigns. Yes. And let's make something clear here. I don't think anyone has made the argument that Nick Ayers was a peripheral player in Eric Greitens' campaign. He was not. He was a major, major player. And Austin Chambers, in my opinion, is Nick Ayers' eyes and ears on the ground in Missouri. I mean, that's, that was your impression. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. No, well, Austin always made that clear. I talked to Austin a gazillion times. And I even have an email from him confirming some of that a year ago, just as far as being uh, heirs sort of overseeing stuff for heirs, especially once heirs took his um, job uh, with Pence. So you've got, okay, let's back up a little bit. Everybody in the press has had the mission continues on its radar since um, late 2016, which we've mentioned before. And uh, so this has been kind of in the background. I think one of the reasons that it's coming up now is because some of the governor's critics, and this includes some in the General Assembly and some Republican leaders, who frankly are upset about the sex, okay? He's not moving because of the sex. Well, then it's like, you know, let's try this. Because frankly, I've thought from the get-go that the mission continues um, controversy might cause him some legal problems. And in fact, I talked to uh, Senator uh, Roy Blunt earlier today, and um, while he sees both investigations as being tied, he did have some observations about this. I, I, do, I do see it as the same. Both of those have two likely possibilities of how to be dealt with. One is the legal system, the other is the legislative system. and. Uh, you know, we seem to be getting to a point where both of those are likely to see some pretty quick uh, decision making. And uh, I think they all uh, basically have the same opportunities to be resolved and for all the information to be on the table. Uh, these systems are designed with that in mind. Uh, whatever happens, uh, it's important, I think, that people think that all everything was looked at, everything was looked at appropriately. and a fair conclusion was reached. I think Blunt, uh, I, who I've respected from a uh, political analyst standpoint for decades, I mean, Blunt, uh, you know, he can kind of look at something. There's a few politicians on both sides who are like that, who can kind of step out for a minute and say, okay, here's what's really going on or here's what I think's going on. 
And I, th- I believe that Blunt may be playing a stronger behind-the-scenes um, uh, view, I mean, involvement than, than he may admit. I think at least from the standpoint of advice, because I thought it was interesting that he makes clear he doesn't want anybody to have any questions that things weren't fairly looked at. Fair. I think that's true. And um, the other thing that I noticed about Blunt's comments here and on Meet the Press is they were actually very similar to what Senator Claire McCaskill said before the first House report. Let's not forget that she did not call for Greitens to resign before that House report came out, and many Democrats didn't either. And for McCaskill's viewpoint, she wanted to let the legal system and the legal process go forward. Other Democrats had more political-minded motives, like they wanted Greitens to be a political punching bag, so they wanted him in office, or they were fearful that Mike Parson would be more effective. So it is interesting to me. Now, things have changed. The, the, the first House report features a lot of very shocking allegations, which I'm kind of surprised Blunt hasn't taken into account. But I think, and I'm, I'm reading between the tea leaves here, I just don't think he thinks it's best for him to get involved with this when others are going to do the end result of what he likely wants in ushering Greitens out. Even though he's a very powerful person as a U.S. senator, he's not powerful enough to oust Greitens on his own. I guess my my question for both of you is, how do you think this second House report is going to weigh in with with impeachment and everything else? I'll start with you, Rachel. I mean, I guess it's just sort of one more thing they can look at and and sort of use. Um, It's it's veterans. It's I don't know. I, I think it's it's kind of like piling on another drip, drip, drip. Maybe that's what the intent is of the special House committee is to sort of steer people towards the idea that impeachment needs to happen to sort of soften the groundwork when they do eventually draft articles of impeachment, kind of give people a sense and a signal of what's possibly going to be in there. I thought the money stuff was honestly a, a stronger argument to be making all along, both criminally and on the impeachment side. Although I've had people point out that, you know, do we really want to be doing this criminally when all sides have a kind of weird relationship with nonprofits that are associated with them, with their particular point of view? Joe, what do you think? Well, okay, and I sound like a broken record, but as I said before, I really believe this is all about the sex. Uh, He ran as a family values candidate. This is very important in Republican circles regardless of what's going on with the White House. But, I mean, but I'm just looking at it from Missouri perspective. So I think that the mission continues stuff, while it's unclear, but the early stuff shows that he at least admitted, you know, guilt, being guilty of a misdemeanor. But whether or not this is a legal case that potentially could stick. Look, they got Al Capone on tax evasion. That wasn't what... That wasn't why they were trying to get Al Capone in prison, but that's how they got him. So I am not. I apologize for equating the governor with Al Capone, but the point being is, is that Republicans have, and we've talked about this many times, uh, various reasons why some want him out. If this is the vehicle that they can use to get him out, they're willing to use it, even if it's not their primary reason. And one of the other things that came out of this report is it, it triggered an inquiry from Washington University that uh, one of his campaign aides may have used a grant that was meant for something very specific for, for campaign use. Joe, Joe, do you have any insight on this? Yes. Yeah, so basically, 
basically what WashU was looking into, he received a grant, a pretty sizable grant, from a Pennsylvania-based uh, foundation, and was supposed to help him with another book. And according to the testimony of his former campaign manager, some of the money was used to pay the campaign manager's salary. Now, this is early on, before things really started going with uh, the uh, Greitens, actually pretty successful campaign fundraising. But so it it basically is implying that he used some of this grant money as seed money for his campaign, and that's a no-no. And that could uh, lead to either them resenting the grant, and he's got to pay it back, or him having to at least pay back the part that was misspent. It just it's just another another chink in his uh, pretty damaged armor right now. So let's shift to the wackier development. Wackier? But it's a development that I think is actually very serious. It was revealed on Monday that one of the people that brought $50,000 in cash to Al Watkins was none other than Missouri Times publisher Scott Fawn. Scott Fawn has been a pretty ardent critic of Governor Greitens for a long time. Um, he's been especially upset with Governor Greitens' decision to freeze the state low-income housing tax credit, which we'll talk about in a, a few minutes. Um, I have to be very honest with both of you. When I heard Scott Fawn's name being uttered out of Jim Martin's mouth, I almost fainted. I was so surprised. Um, I, I've known Scott for a while, and I like him personally. And I've been on his show a couple of times, and I have no animosity toward him. And I really have no opinion on the low-income housing tax credit issue. I, I see both sides. But I think the first thing that came to my mind was this is an unacceptable and egregious breach of journalistic ethics, even if he is a publisher and even if he is a, a political pundit. That's at the very best. At, at worst, he is part of... A, a monetary scheme to make sure that the affair story got out at the behest, possibly at the behest of a special interest group. We will get to his explanation in a minute. But, Joe, what was your reaction when you found out about well, this? Well, I mean, I think because, frankly, I mean, I know Scott very well. I like him as a person. I've been on a show several times. He and I have actually been on uh, a couple panels, most recently a couple months ago at the Farm Bureau where we got accolades <laughs> for um, uh, kind of the point-counterpoint on a couple different things. That said, it is stunning, and I think for many journalists, including myself, it's rather uncomfortable. We are taught not to be part of the story. We're supposed to be covering the story. And him giving the money, whether it's his money or if he's delivering it for somebody else, even if he's a publisher, not one of his rank-and-file reporters, he's still part of the story, and you really don't want to be part of the story. Now, 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 Fawn has said that this was his money, and he was using it to buy tapes for a book he was writing. I'm going to play a clip now from a Periscope that he had right after this revelation, and I'll get to the finer point afterward. I think at this point, Deb Grind's lawyers giving you, lying about you is probably good uh, for your character, and my character obviously could use it. So I'll take it. But um, just to recap again, I, if you're just tuning in, the news of the day uh, that I actually became a part of, which is not the best thing for me, 
but uh, but it is good for the book, so I'll take it. In a subsequent uh, column, it says, uh, I met Al Watkins, a very colorful attorney who had the tapes in his possession and had permission to sell them to me because I had purchased them. I could not use them in any newspaper I own or play them on my television show. I thought I made it clear on Monday that I was his client, but it's obvious that I was not clear enough. My plan was to use them as source documents to attempt to get someone to speak to me as one of the central revelations of the book. Rachel, were you about to say something? I was going to say just for for people who aren't quite following here, these are the tapes that the ex-husband made of his ex-wife. Surreptitiously. Surreptitiously made the tapes. This is the the woman at the center of all of this kind of – this – the invasion of privacy legal case. She's the woman with whom Greitens had the affair and who he allegedly took a semi-nude photo of without her permission. Okay. First of all, I was on the courthouse steps with Al Watkins for a solid 25 minutes. Not once did he ever say that money was to purchase tapes. In fact, he said that money was conditionless. Al Watkins publicly made it clear that it was under his view that the money which came to him by an, a source he didn't know was aimed at covering the legal fees for the ex-husband and other clients. Could be Eli Carabell, could be Paul Henreid, I don't know. But more importantly, it's almost a certainty that when he was deposed on Monday and Tuesday, he said under oath that that money was pay, used for legal fees. Joe, you and I know Chuck Hatfield very well. Yes. Chuck Hatfield would not let a client perjure himself and say that he got money for legal representation when he really got it to sell the tapes. I just do not believe that that would ever happen. Now, just so our listeners understand, Chuck Hatfield is a lawyer in Jefferson City, probably one of the preeminent lawyers in Jefferson City. His fingers are in almost any controversy that's going on in Jeff City. He's representing somebody in something. And he's a he, he's a very good lawyer. Okay. And, and and Chuck had not been involved in the Greitens case until about a week ago when he got hired by Watkins, which has kind of added another little star factor, along with the fact that former House Speaker Catherine Hannaway, who also is now helping to represent the Greitens team. I mean, and eventually is, there's going to be no lawyers left there, who aren't no, doing but, anything with this case. But, but. Which I found, I had to tweet about it because during our debate that we, Jason and I, hosted almost two years ago, yeah. Hannaway was among the yeah. uh, GOP rivals but, but who many, were cast. Many, but many people within her, her campaign staff now, now work, work for, for the governor. Yeah, yes. yeah but, they, but she was castigating yeah. him for getting uh, at least a million dollars from a donor who was in court over charges that he had kept a sex slave for a year. Uh, okay, but my point is, and I'll just put one more finer point on this. Hatfield filed, this was part of a writ that Hatfield filed that I'm going to read. Watkins represents an individual who sought advice from Watkins regarding several issues, including the finances of legal fees by third parties. The client provided Watkins with funds from which legal fees for for the ex-husband were paid. That's in the writ that Chuck Hatfield and the other lawyers said. Okay, so either Chuck Hatfield allowed Al Watkins to perjure himself and filed blatantly false documents to a court, or Scott Fawn is not telling the truth. And and there's another backdrop, which I'd like to mention. Uh, the campaign, uh, not campaign, the financial disclosure forms that were filled out for all the statewide officers, 
officials earlier this week. The governor was among those. And it turns out several hundred thousand dollars he's, he admits taking in either uh, travel, re- tra- travel money or other things uh, from various major donors. So all this, and he he got by far more than anybody else, which is not unusual because yeah. he's the governor. I, I mean, I yeah. I, I, I haven't I, I don't know Scott Fawn from anyone. I probably until I saw him on the Periscope wouldn't have known what he looks like. But my first thought, and this is something that the governor has put up in his sponsored ads. My first thought was, oh crap, this is going to make our jobs hotter yes. because people aren't making the distinction between the publisher of a newspaper in Jefferson City and the reporters who have nothing to do with him. It's all just news and journalists to them and uh, you know journalists have gotten involved in the story and not great ways through the entire sort of you know spine of it and well we're we're supposed to be observers we're supposed to be observers and participants i want to get away from fawn for a second about why this matters because a lot of people have been like who cares about who paid watkins legal fees let's focus on the governor i totally agree that the governor's actions are the key issue here. And we don't know where he got his millions and, and, of dollars. And we from. don't. I, but but here's this is why it matters, okay? If Fawn was given money by low-income housing tax credit developers, our lobbyists, or any of their supporters, it basically shatters the initial image and narrative that the ex-husband put forward to, to, to reveal the affair. The ex-husband, when he was interviewed on KMOV, basically said, I'm coming forward because I feel like Eric Greitens hurt my family and hurt my ex-wife. And that's the reason I'm speaking out. What we've now found out, according to the woman's testimony that was included in the most recent addendum to the First House report, is that this woman's ex-husband was incredibly vindictive. He had apparently had several affairs of his own own before the Greitens one. Um, had said that he wanted to keep this out of the press, but tweeted out about it the day after the election. Well, and actually, he had been talking to certain people, including the former state Democratic Party chairman, Roy Temple, uh, in late 2016. Now, the state Democratic Party opted not to go with any of this. But the point is, it's not like he just decided in December, uh, I mean, late 2017 to do something. He, so, he'd been so, walking around so with this So if for what some time. put this person over the edge was money from an interest group that's really pissed off at Greitens and wants to chase him out of office and replace him with another person that's going to reverse that policy decision. That that they hope will. That they hope will, because Mike Parsons is a big low-income housing tax credit supporter. I understand that there's a lot of Greitens detractors that don't want that information to come out because it might damage the argument against him politically. But I think the public damn well deserves to know that, okay? And not just for public policy, but before this woman. This woman never wanted this story out, okay? And in fact, pleaded to not have the reporter who originally did the story do the story. One of the things I've been wondering, I mean, and who knows, but okay, we, we know all these nefarious secret people have been helping pay for the ex-husband or those uh, lawyers, uh, we know that there's some hefty, uh, wealthy people who are helping Greitens pay his legal fees. Who is paying the woman's legal fees? Is anybody? She doesn't have a big team of lawyers. She's, As far as I know, she's got like one guy, yeah. unless things have changed. And it's not like he's somebody prominent. 
So once again, you've got all these other players that are all lawyered up, getting all this money from various sources. The woman who's at the center of it, who never wanted this to be public anyway, is the one who maybe maybe she is getting some financial help, but otherwise she's just a hairdresser trying to. I, uh, I'm actually pulling up. That's a good question because I believe right before the gag order, Scott Simpson was interviewed by the Riverfront Times. And, and he's her lawyer. And he, he is the lawyer. I'm just I'm just scrolling through this because I think that that question was actually asked. Oh, putting the other rumors to rest, Simpson stated categorically that his client has not been paid by anyone in connection with Greitens, not the governor or his foes. It is categorically false, Simpson says. Nobody paid her anything, period, exclamation point. However strongly I can tell you, no one has paid her. So that's just the response of her attorney to that. Yeah, thanks for finding that, Jason. But what I think the proper venue to find out where this money came from, because I agree, it is far afield from the criminal case. And I understand that they have a finite amount of time that they have. The House committee could subpoena tax credit developers and lobbyists and could ask them under oath if they supplied Fawn and Schuyler, quote unquote, with that money. Skyler being the courier who allegedly delivered the other 50000 they, they could do that. I Again, they've already talked about in their first report why this affair became revealed. So they've already broached that, that, that subject. I think that they would want to know the full set of facts. And I'm pretty sure that legislators who have to potentially change the low-income housing tax credit program would want to know if this entire mess is because they're upset that Greitens did what they did. In the moments that we have left, Rachel, let's preview what's going to happen next week. So next week is kind of when we know how this is going to look going forward into trial. Motions that you file kind of before the trial goes to shape what evidence is allowed in and out were due May 1st. There's been a couple of late ones filed. One is dealing with cameras in the courtrooms. We learned today that there will not be uh, video cameras allowed in. They're still working on whether audio is going to be allowed to be distributed. A couple of big ones that are still out there. We know that there's going to be at least one and possibly two hearings before or more hearings before Thursday, which is when jury selection is scheduled to get underway. A couple of big motions are still out there filed by the defense team. Number one is they're re-upping the motion they've already filed to just completely throw this out. They're saying there's no picture. There's no evidence that a law was violated. There's no evidence of a transmission. Judge Burleson just chucked this out. Um, on the on the sort of flip side or the alternate to that, they want to, and this is, is something that we I think discussed last week a little bit. They want to throw out the testimony of KS and her friend JW. Now KS is KS the woman. is the woman. JW is a friend of hers because they were interviewed by William Tisby, who's this investigator we've heard a lot about, hired by Kim Gardner to handle the investigation of this case, supposedly because the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department said no. And basically how this works is this answers the question of like fruit of the poison tree, that if Tisby, if they have a problem with Tisby, um, does everything that he touched get struck? And the answer to that, according to the defense, is yes, that Burleson has already told Gardner the problems you have had with discovery and turning over evidence in a timely fashion that could help the governor out. Those are strikes against Tisby as well. And if he continues to do what he's doing or doesn't answer questions, the the problem attaches to the people that he talked to, the woman and her friend. 
if you strike that evidence and there's a lot of kind of circumstantial proof that there's no photo, I don't think they have a case. So it's essentially equivalent to throwing out the case entirely. The discovery is passed. Like discovery they, is done. They mm-hmm. can't enter any new evidence at this point, right? I... I there, I don't want to say no categorically because I am sure they could say, you know, we've got this big revelation and we need to, you know, file this out of the scheduling order. And Burleson's been pretty liberal about what he accepts in. But but my point is there's no photo. As far as we know, there's no photo. And what makes me think there isn't, too, is they've hired a couple of electrical engineers who were supposed to show how it was possible that the woman knew the photo had been taken and also then that it was transmitted. And the defense is just sort of like neither of these people are qualified to be making this this proof. Um, A couple of other interesting filings that we had. The uh, defense team does not want KS to be uh, referred to as a victim. They say that she was a consensual participant in an extramarital affair. There's no real crime here. They want to... um, have witnesses all referred to by their full names, which goes in direct contradiction to a filing by the prosecution who wants to protect KS under Missouri's rape shield law, which would prevent questions about any uh, prior sexual um, behavior or whether or not she's gotten counseling. If you actually read the state's law, it doesn't apply to the exact charge that the governor is facing. But what the defense, the prosecution team is arguing is that basically this is a crime of pornography by another name, and therefore she should be treated as the victim of a, a sexual crime. So we're kind of getting a sense of, of how this is going to play out, what the defense is, how the defense track wants to go, how the prosecution track wants to go. And uh, we'll see who gets, if this continues on and is allowed to go forward, who gets the pl- the pleasure and the privilege of deciding the governor's legal fate in this particular case starting Thursday. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention that several other news outlets have reported on other filings that happened late in the week. The St. Louis Post-Dispatch reported that Greitens' attorneys want this trial to be a trial by judge as opposed to a trial by jury, citing the negative publicity. Fox 2 has reported on a filing that showcases some texts between uh, the woman and some of her friends. Uh, I, I strongly recommend that you check out those outlet stories to find out more. Well, one thing I want to reaffirm is that, okay, the trial is set to start on May 14th. That's the last week of the legislative session. Yeah. And I'm and legislative session is usually that last week is usually crazy. Mm-hmm. And Jason and I are usually in Jeff City to help out Marshall Griffin, our crack guy there in the Capitol. So guess who's not going to be in Jefferson City this year? But, Jason. But, <laughs> wow, really? Okay. No, it's just you, Joe. Okay, just me and Marshall. Sorry. But my point being is, I mean, I suppose I could wing it at the trial alone, but no. Fred, my uh, no. point being is, all that stuff, 130 miles away. You wonder if anything's going to get done. Usually they often have sometimes 15, 18-hour days. And you just wonder if anything's going to get done because all the drama is going to be here. And then starting June 1st, I'm taking the month off to take care of my beautiful new child. And Hi, Jason's looking at me, the <laughs> and, old lady. And, and I, I, I am not going to deal with this. I'm going to leave it leave it to others to deal with my own work. So, Which, again, and we have no idea when this second criminal trial, this is only the first criminal trial. We already know that there is a second criminal trial that has been filed in St. Louis. We know that Holly has turned evidence over to a um, prosecutor in Cole County on other charges. So 
who knows? This could be a, you know, like a multi-month special Mo WTF podcast thing going on we, here. We could be on part 300 by the time we're all That'd in be a our... lot And of weeks. meanwhile, the governor is trying to at least get a little fresh air at Innsbruck. And I know, I'm pretty sure he was there last weekend because the highway patrol was driving around. They normally, I mean, as people may know, I have a tiny place. It's probably about the size of his bathroom in his place. But I am I am able to be there and uh, different lake. But uh, hopefully he's getting a little fresh air and relaxation while all this is going on. On that note, thanks to both of you for continuing our round-the-clock coverage of this incredible story for all of our stories stlpublicradio.org follow me on twitter at j rosenbaum follow joe on twitter at j manis that's j-m-a-n-n-i-e-s follow rachel on twitter at at our lipman two p's two n's we'll be back next time until then so long St. Louis Public Radio's The Gateway gives you the day's news first thing every weekday morning. From the ever-evolving relationship between St. Louis City and County to developments in the Missouri and Illinois state capitals and reports from our correspondents in Rolla and the Metro East, we put it all in a roughly 10-minute package with clarity and context. Download The Gateway wherever you get podcasts.